So it is my task to continue the wonderful uh, series that we are talking about David, a man after God's own heart. And this week I'm going to talk about friendship and I'm going to look at 1 Samuel 18 and I'm going to look at 1 Samuel 20 and lots of verses are going to follow. And I'm going to talk about friendship. And, you know, I realize as I've been thinking about this, I've never spoken on this subject before. I'm going to talk about the friendship between David and Jonathan. Uh, I've never done this talk before or a talk like it, but I've realized just how important it is to be talking about friendship right now. Because I don't know about you, but a lot of people have been thinking about who are my friends over this year, as, as increasingly we felt disconnected from one another, it's actually really highlighted uh, the level of friendship that we have in our lives. So I think this is an important theme for us to look at. And I say this uh, at a time when the potential for connection is like no other in history. Because, you know, at a click of a button, you can video call somebody on the other side of the world. <laughs> you can click or swipe, showing my age, there you go, swipe another button and you can follow somebody who's, again, anywhere in the world, hundreds of friends, you can see their holiday snaps, you can look at what they've had for dinner today and compare notes. Um, Through the wonders of technology, you can interact with people that you'll never meet or even be in the same room as. Uh, You can even watch a film with a friend in a different house, and you can track them wherever they go and yet still feel disconnected. And we have all this phenomenal potential for connection, and yet the shadow of pervading loneliness creeps through our culture more than ever. And I want to say that I think we're facing a pandemic of loneliness, a glut of shallowness, and a lack of authentic relationship like no other. And as this year has shown, a virtual world can only give us temporary relief for the deep need that we have for true friendship and deep-hearted connection with others. So how is your heart around friendship? Have you got any friends that you can go deep with, or are they just acquaintances? And of course, we can't be deep friends with everybody. We need all kinds of friends in our lives. So I'm going to do another thing I've never done before, and that is quote Aristotle. (laughs) Aristotle, the Greek philosopher around 300 BC, observed that there were three types or levels of friendship that people have. Number one, friendships of utility. Number two, friendships of pleasure. And three, friendships of virtue. Now, friendships of utility are the kind of friendships you have with work colleagues, uh, your hairdresser, or a customer, perhaps, that comes into your shop. They exist between someone who is useful to you in some way. Friendships of pleasure or Friendships are fun. I actually like that better. Uh, People that you just like hanging out with, you have a laugh with, you maybe do sport with them or you socialize with them, but it never gets too serious. It's just good for a laugh. And then friendships of virtue or friendships for the good are based on mutual respect and admiration. That's your closest friends. That's deep and enduring friendship. And it's the most important kind of friendship, but it's also quite rare. And of course, the first two friendships, uh, utility and pleasure, are are kind of accidental. 
you, they, and they're a lot more common. They just kind of happen. You just happen to be working with that person. Or you find out that that person really makes you laugh. Um, but the third one is more deliberate and requires significant investment. And because of this, we only tend to have a handful of these kinds of friends over a lifetime. And so I would suggest that this last one, this friendship of virtue or the friendship for the good, uh, is the kind of friendship that we need more of. This handful of people who inspire and challenge us, uh, who love us just for who we are, and they're just there for us. So have you got those kind of friends in your life? Now David chose Jonathan, or was it the other way around? But he chose a friend who loved him deeply and who also had a heart after God's own heart, which is such an essential quality in a close friend, somebody who's pursuing God like you are. So I want to take you through the next part of the story. I'm going to pick out a whole lot of verses uh, between 1 Samuel chapter 18 and 20 and look at the relationship of David and Jonathan drawing from their lives the five attributes of true friendship that we can see existed between these men. But first of all, let me just introduce Jonathan to you. He was the adult son of Saul, King Saul. And we first meet him in 1 Samuel 13 and find that he was a respected commander of men in Saul's army. And he was, he was a courageous man. He liked to pick fights with Israel's enemies, the Philistines. And I think there are some parallels in Jonathan's character to that of David in that he was this courageous man whose faith was in God and he had an honor for the people of God. And of course, we become like the people we keep, don't we? Which is why I think he was drawn to David. And there's a fantastic story about him. I was really tempted to just look at this story today in 1 Samuel 14, where he and his armor bearer go on a secret God-inspired mission under the cover of darkness. And they planned a ruse so terrifying that the Philistine army, to the Philistine army, that the soldiers started killing themselves and one another. And all Jonathan and his friends had to do is go and finish the job off and won an incredible victory. So that's Jonathan. So how did Jonathan and David meet? Well, they met in the palace. It was just after David had killed Goliath and he'd been invited into the palace to meet with Saul. And he was talking to Saul, presumably about the great victory that they'd seen. And Jonathan, it seemed, was was around because in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, it says that after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. Isn't that wonderful to meet somebody, to have somebody like that in your life, one in spirit and they love you as themselves. It was as if Jonathan saw something in David that connected them. The same heart for God, the same aim in life. I don't know exactly what it was. Who can explain those mysterious connections that we feel when we meet some people? I don't know what it was, but from that moment, Jonathan and David were united as friends for life. And and there was some cost for David, sorry, for Jonathan in this, which he willingly paid. Verse 3 and 4 says that David Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And then Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. 
that might seem a little strange to us. It might have even been a bit strange to them. The king's son giving his clothes to the shepherd. But it was a supernatural thing. Jonathan made a covenant in that moment to follow David. It was his way of saying, I see it in you. I see the call of God on your life. And it's a calling that isn't mine, even though I'm the king's son. He was the king's son, you see. He was meant to inherit the throne. But in that moment of revelation, he passed on that mantle of kingship to David and says, no, it's not me, it's you. (laughs) You're number one, I'm number two. And it's here we begin to see some of those attributes of true friendship which run through the whole story of Jonathan and David's relationship. So here's the first one, and you might want to note them down as we go along, because I'm going to do something with these headings at the end. So if you want to write these down as we go along, here's the first one. The five attributes of true friendship. Number one, true friends celebrate your success as if it were their own. Uh, We don't know how Jonathan had this revelation about David. I mean, perhaps... God just opened his eyes and he saw it. Or perhaps the rumors of Samuel's anointing of David had reached the palace. Or maybe uh, in the conversation between David and Saul, somehow it had come up, which may explain a few things about how Saul hated David. But we don't know. But in that moment of recognition, Jonathan doesn't back off. He doesn't smile and say all the right things and then stab him in the back a bit later. No, he takes off his royal clothes and gives them to David to wear. He removes his weapons, making himself vulnerable to David instead. (laughs) In that moment of covenant, Jonathan recognized to his own loss David as the true successor of his father. And you know, the amazing things about true friends is that they will overlook your failings. You know, the clothes that David wore, the weapons that he used, and choose instead to recognize and call out your greatness, who you are, who you're called to be, and most importantly, that they celebrate your successes as if they're their own. So have you got any friends like that? (laughs) Friends who bring out the best in you. Friends who see your potential, even if it's beyond their own. Friends who aren't jealous of you or your gifts, your possessions or your position, but who celebrate your success as if it's your own. Or can you be that kind of friend for someone else? Well, that's pretty challenging, isn't it? Well, that's the kind of friendship that we see in David and Jonathan. And here's the next attribute of true friendship we see between these men. Number two, true friends speak well of you. I mean, you know the story that King Saul was increasingly losing his grip on reality and he was becoming obsessed, actually, with David's growing popularity and has started to try and kill him. Not just in a covert way at this stage in the story, kind of, oh, I was playing with my spear one day and whoops, it slipped. Or, do you know, he was on the front line, don't know how he got there, should never have been there, and he was killed, just desperately hacked to death. (laughs) Never mind, you know. It wasn't covert anymore because Saul was deliberate in his business to get 
David killed, to kill him himself. So 1 Samuel 19 verses 1 to 7 says this. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. That's a royal command to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him about it. He says, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. So be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and I will tell you what I find out. Now, if there had been any jealousy in Jonathan or any competition with David, this was his opportunity, actually. I mean, you know how it starts. Someone criticizes a friend of yours that you don't even know that you were remotely threatened by. (laughs) And for some reason, you start to entertain that criticism and find it to be a slightly delicious morsel. And you start to look for evidence of what you've heard yourself and find even more people who think the same things. And before you know it, your friend is no longer your friend, but your enemy. And you're out for as much character assassination as you can find. I know. I've done it. I thought it. I felt it. And I've recognized it in my own insecurities and the sense of superiority that we gain from focusing on somebody else's weaknesses instead of their strengths. (laughs) Anybody? Am I the only one who's ever done this? I mean, even as I've written this talk this week, I have being convicted of some of my attitudes. But fortunately, Jonathan was not that kind of friend. Verse 4, it says that Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong for his servant David. He hasn't wronged you. And what has he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Wouldn't you love a friend who did that for you? Who stood up for you like that? And then verse 6, it says that Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death, he says. So Jonathan called David. I didn't know he had phones then, did you? He called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul and David was with Saul as before. So a true friend speaks well of you behind your back. They speak well of you. They can even help to broker reconciliation with those who are out to bring you down. I mean, wouldn't it be great to have a friend like that that you can rely on? Or wouldn't it be even better to be a friend like that for someone? To speak well of them, to defend them, and to bring reconciliation. And here's the third attribute of true friendship. True friends are not afraid to challenge you. You know, when we're immature in our understanding of friendship, we can so easily fall into the trap of thinking that a true friend is someone is someone who agrees with you about everything. And so, you know, it's such a great friend. We never fall out about anything. They only ever say encouraging and positive things to me. They never criticize me. But, you know, that is just not true. That is not the kind of friend that we need. 
Sometimes it's having a friend who loves you enough to take the risk in the friendship to say the hard things that need to be said. Now, often what we need out of a friend more than anything is someone to speak sense to us. To care enough to tell us what nobody else will say. So have you got anyone in your life like that? This is what David needed in chapter 20. Things had got so bad with Saul that despite the promise that he'd made, the oath that he'd just made to Jonathan in the previous chapter, David has to run. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 20 that David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to kill me? Now here is his friend's challenge. Verse 2, never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. (laughs) Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why should he hide this from me? It isn't so. Now, of course, we know the story that Saul, by this time, had crossed a line and decided that he wants to kill David. And so Jonathan's reassurances might look a little hollow to us. But at this point, there is no evidence of this decision. And so Jonathan's role is to challenge David's paranoia and speak some sense to him. My dad wouldn't do that kind of thing, he said. Don't you remember the covenant he's just given us? We wrote it down in the last chapter. David, you're overreacting. Slow down a bit and let me give you some facts in the situation. And you see, it makes no difference that Jonathan, we can see that Jonathan was wrong about his father on this occasion. Because his role in friendship for David was protective and reassuring. He stopped David in his tracks and he made him think. So when have you done that for somebody recently? (laughs) When have you warned them to slow down? Think about it. When have you reflected back on how they're coming across or where you may have got it wrong? Or which of your friends would you allow to do that for you? True friends do this for one another, and then they stand by us when it all goes wrong. (laughs) And so that's the fourth attribute. True friends are more than just fair-weather friends. In the life of David's flight from Saul, Jonathan once again takes up his cause and goes back to his father, the king, on David's behalf, and it doesn't go well. Verse 30 of chapter 20, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. He said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't you know that you've sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me because he's got to die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul held his spear at him, his son now, to kill him. And then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. So Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. 
On that second day of the feast, he didn't eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. So here is a test of friendship more than any other. Do your friends stay around when things go wrong for you? In times of sickness, despair, fear. How many friends would you take a spear for? When has a friend stayed when others have left? There are not many who can sit with us through times of mental illness, depression, huge disappointment, grief and unending questions. The true friends are those who choose to commit to us even when things go wrong, desperately wrong. I've spoken before of some dear friends who both lost, uh, who lost both of their daughters to cancer over several years and the inexplicable pain and confusion they went through. And, and I just have to confess to you, I, I, I just didn't know what to do. I hardly knew what to do. I had no words. I had no wisdom. And mostly I just sat silently with my friend and cried. And years later, he thanked me and says, I did the right thing and was one of the few to do so, which completely surprised me. He said, just being there, just sitting with him in the pit of despair was what was needed. He said, that's the stuff of true friendship. and, And that was the case, even though I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew that I wanted to be there with my friend. So are you a fair weather friend? Or an all-weather friend? And who is that person for you? And here's the final attribute. Number five. True friends stay friends even when you move away. It's my observation, having moved on from several workplaces, churches and communities over the years, that the people you thought were your friends turn out not to be. And those with whom you stay in touch and stay in touch with you are actually the ones that were your friends. And it can be a bit disillusioning at times, but it's also quite revealing. And if you can bear to work through the pain of that and get over the disappointment, there might even be some nice surprises. As you discover some of the people who, oh my goodness, I didn't realize they really were my true friends. So think about that. Who are the friends that have lasted through the years because they are the most valuable and they're the most likely to be your truest friendships because they've stood the test of time? As the Australian poet John Leonard says, it takes a long time to grow an old friend. I mean, you may feel that you have No no true friends. But who have you left behind? Who do you need to go back to and pick up with? Perhaps it's time to reach out and reconnect because this is a really good time to do it. Lots of people are thinking about this at the moment. David and Jonathan's friendship, though, endured the ultimate test. When came the moment that there was no other choice? 
At the threat of David's life, Jonathan agrees that they will have to part ways. And that actually means they will never see each other again. And this is how they did it. First, they reaffirm and broaden their covenant of friendship together. So in verse 16 of chapter 20, it says, So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. So the covenant this time wasn't just between the two men, but it was between their families, which years later, uh, David makes good on with Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And second, the men embrace each other as Jonathan releases David. So verse 41 says that David got up from the south side and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Verse 42, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendships with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. There again is that mention of intertwined families. I think that's beautiful, really beautiful. And But I also love this because we see the roots of friendship go deep between David and Jonathan, in that Jonathan cared more about David's safety than he did about his company. He wasn't selfishly holding on to him. He wasn't trying to control him or extract obligations and promises from him. Jonathan released him. And that's true friendship, actually. The men would never meet again, actually. Uh, Jonathan's killed on the battlefield in 1 Samuel 31 2. And then David has to give the eulogy for his friend at the funeral. And at this point, David shows us his love for Jonathan is undiminished, saying that he loved him more than women. That's 2 Samuel 1 26, which I think probably says more about his experience with his wives than anything else. A true friendship. True friendship is a friendship of depth and love and commitment. And I think we need these kind of friends. Aristotle's third level of friendship, friendship of virtue, because as human beings, we need that kind of connection with others. And first of all, this is just how we were made by a creator who also lives in perfect community in the Godhead. And second, because the pursuit of God is not an individual thing. You can't do it on your own. You know, if you want to grow, you're going to need people like this in your life, people that are pursuing God, people who speak into our lives, people who will speak up for us, people who will take spears for us, hopefully only metaphorically, and even fire off arrows ahead of us in times of confusion and direction, people that you can just reconnect with when you need to. We need these people who speak truth to us and care enough to do this even when it's difficult. People who'll be with us through thick and thin. These are true friends. So how do you get those kind of friends? Well, this is where I come to an overriding spiritual principle that we see in Scripture. Jesus tells us that if we give 
then it will be given back to us, pressed down, shaken together and running over. He also says that greater love has no man than he lay down his life for his friends. So here's the spiritual principle. What we initiate is what comes back to us. What we initiate is what comes back to us. What we sow is what we reap. What we give is what we keep. Which is why I've asked you all the way through, not just about your friends, but the kind of friend you are to others. Did you notice that? Or have you just been thinking about all the people that have let you down over the years? You know, uh, the so-called friends who've disappointed you and not kept up with you and concluded through this talk that you actually have no real friends. So you're actually feeling a bit depressed at the moment. Well, sorry to have misled you, because the point of this message today is for you to ask yourself, what kind of friend am I to others? Because we can do something about that. You know, I can't make somebody be my friend or control what others might think about me, but I can decide what kind of friend I'm going to be. Am I a true friend? That's the question I want you to go away with. Am I a true friend? Ralph, Ralph Waldo Emerson said that the only way to have a friend is to be one. So this is where we go back to the list of attributes of true friendship. Let me ask you, if you are the kind of friend, number one, who celebrates your friend's successes as if they were your own and overlooks their failings. Number two, are you the kind of friend who determines to speak well of your friend despite what others might say about them and recognize that actually your role may be to defend them to others and help to reconcile them? Are you the kind of person who cares, number three, to, with an, enough to risk the friendship and challenge your friend even though it's hard? Can you show that kind of love to them. Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend, deceitful are the lies of an enemy. Number four, are you the kind of person where, who will be there even when it's hard? Be more than a, just a fair weather friend and be an all weather friend. And number five, are you the kind of person who doesn't cut off friendship just because they've moved away? Don't get selfish and exclusive in your friendship, but be generous and let go, and make it easy for them to come back and stay in touch. That's what technology is for, keeping in touch. So what kind of friend are you as we come, close, uh, to, come to the close? Is there someone that you need to call or write to today? Who do you need to reconnect with at this time? Take a risk. Take off your armor and make yourself vulnerable because that builds the kind of friendships that lead to true friendship. I've got to say that as I've been through this talk, I, I've kept coming back to the one friend who sticks closer to a brother, uh, closer than a brother, because Jesus actually is the perfect example of friendship. So I just want to give us a moment or two and uh, Pam's going to come up and lead us in a final song. What a friend I found. We're going to sing that song 
And as we sing it, let's just consider Jesus as our example of friendship who laid down his life for us, who gave everything for us, made himself completely and entirely vulnerable. He stripped naked on the cross so that we could learn what true friendship for eternity is all about. As we know him as our friend, we can be a friend to other people.